We, we get to sing and lift up our voices to praise Jesus as the king. And we get to I'll come to the scriptures where we've been working through the Sermon on the Mount, which is all about what does life look like if we treat Jesus as the king. And the specific area that, that we're going to look at in the, in the passage um, this morning that Jesus is going to take on is probably at the center of ways that, that there's a battleground in our culture. In fact, we're in a culture that doesn't talk a lot about sin, but if we all voted as a society to have one thing, one single thing as a sin, the one thing we would choose as a sin would probably be judging others. This is the ultimate no-no of our culture. We are not supposed to judge one another. Um, and you see this rampant all over the place. It's the value that we hold in common. Now, there is a video that some of you have probably seen. It's been floating around over, maybe over the course of the last six months or last year. And uh, what happens is there's a man in it who, uh, who decides to sort of test how far people are willing to go without judging, how far they're willing to go without saying, no, you're wrong. And so what he did is he went to a college campus and he sort of oriented the, the, the whole um, experience around the idea that we now live in a culture where we say, hey, it's all right, a man can just decide, can just declare he's a woman. A woman can just declare that she's a man. So he, he started that with this starting point. So he went around and interviewed different college students, just starting with the question, what would you say if I said that I was a woman? And student after student just very politely said, hey, if you say you're a woman, you're a woman, that's great. I have no problem with that. Every single one of them. Um, and then after, he said, what if I told you I was a Chinese woman? Now, I know you're not seeing the video right now. He was clearly not a Chinese guy. He was clearly just a, a normal Caucasian man. And, uh, and so you see a little bit more crinkled brows. People say, well, I'd be a little surprised. But if you say you're Chinese, who am I to judge? You, know, you, you can be Chinese. You can be a Chinese woman. That's fine. And then he said, what if I told you I was a six foot five Chinese woman? He was about my height, you know, and I know I look tall on the stage, but I'm not six foot five. I'm about five ten. And so uh, he said, what if I was a six foot five? I, if I declared you I'm a six foot five Chinese woman. And again, you see a little more hesitation, but ultimately they say, well, who am I to tell you you're wrong if you really think in your mind that you're six foot five? And then the final mov movement was he said, what if I told you I was seven years old? And the shocking thing was watching these different people, these people created in the image of God, not be willing to tell a guy who's saying, I am a seven-year-old, six-foot-five Chinese woman, <laughs> that he was wrong. We live in a culture, and some of you might think, well, that's a really extreme example. And, and given, that, that is an extreme example. I, I don't think that everybody in our culture would, would go that far with all of this. But it at least illustrates the idea of how far we tend to be willing to go because we're so uncomfortable saying that anybody else is wrong. This is the ultimate thing we're not meant to do in the culture. And some of you might be thinking, well, I'd rather have that than just rampant judgmentalism. Like, I'd rather have some silly things where, where people are unwilling to say that somebody's wrong than just everybody judging and condemning one another. And White says, all right, fair enough. You get to have your preference if you feel like that's a better way. But what I want to say just even as we get started is we are not able to function without judging all the time. And some of you might be skeptical of this. I'll, I'll try to demonstrate this. We are not capable of functioning in the world without constantly judging. 
Now, there's a wide range of what goes under that umbrella of what it means to judge. In fact, in the passage where Jesus speaks about judging that we'll go over in a little bit, he he uses a word that can be used in a variety of different ways. So sometimes when we talk about judging, we mean just condemning somebody and being really harsh with them. Sometimes we mean just sort of making a decision, making an evaluation about their behavior. Or sometimes when we judge, we're not even making a moral judgment. We're, We're just making a discerning decision about what we think is best. This morning, already, it's it's what, it's 9.50 in the morning, already all of you have made several judgments today. I'll give you some examples. Um, I'm going to assume that when you drove here today, you made the judgment that it would be better to drive on the right side of the road than on the left side of the road. And by doing that, you also included the judgment that you would think it's worse if somebody would have driven on the left side of the road. On top of that, all of you, thankfully, made the judgment that it would be better to wear clothes to church than to not wear clothes to church. And so that's good. You made a judgment, which means in your mind, you probably also said it would be worse if somebody didn't wear clothes to church. Um, Many of you made the decision to show up on time for church. Not everybody, but lots of you did. You just kind of made the decision. It would be better to show up on time than to not show up on time. We, we do this all the time. We do this, again, with non-moral matters where we say, ah, it's better to save money than just to spend it all at once, or it's better to eat well than just to eat junk food. All the time we are making judgments about what is a better way and what is a worse way. And, and you might be thinking, yeah, but those are just kind of normal things. We're not supposed to make moral judgments. We're not supposed to say that somebody's behavior or their actions are immoral. But I'd say even in our culture where where we're very loosey-goosey with that, there are still ways that we will cross over and make absolutely moral judgments. In our cultural relativity, I still have not heard anybody say, now I personally would never practice domestic violence, but I'm not going to judge those who do. We all judge those who do. We all judge that as an immoral act for somebody to do. We don't say, well, I would never, you know, drunk drive. I would never drive drunk myself, but I'm not going to condemn those who do. We'd say, no, that's wrong. That's an immoral thing to do. You probably in your life have had somebody say to you, who are you to judge? But they probably haven't said, who are you to judge Hitler? We all think it's okay to judge Hitler. We all think it's okay to judge slavery. There are certain things that we just say, no, this is wrong, this is immoral, we should judge it as wrong and immoral. In fact, you know the thing that we judge more than anything else? Judgmental people. (laughs) We do, there's a deep irony here where we're like, oh, I can't stand those people, they're so judgmental. We judge all the time. In fact, what I want to say even to kind of guide our time together as we look at what King Jesus says about the subject of judging is that the big question, the key question is not whether we will judge. The key question is how we will judge. We will judge all the time. That's how we function in our lives, that we look at what we're doing, we look at what other people are doing, we look at the decisions before us, and we make a judgment about what's good, what's bad, what's right, and what's wrong. The question is not whether we will judge, but how we will judge. Now, now, in this series where we're asking the question, who is your king? We've been working through the Sermon on the Mount, which is uh, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And in this, we get to cover a variety of subjects and say, all right, well, what does King Jesus say we, we should do when it comes to anger? And what does King Jesus say about, uh, about lust? And what does he say about marriage? And what does he say about money? And what does he say about worry? Like we talked about last week. 
This morning, we get to see what Jesus says about the area of judging. And as we walk through it, we're going to walk through Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. As we walk through this passage, we're going to see Jesus unfold a vision of what judging one another looks like when he is treated as the king. So this, this passage kind of has three movements to it, three sections to it. So we'll start in each, in each one of them. We're going to see Jesus give us some insight into when we judge how we should do it. And the first one is in verses one through two. And what Jesus is going to tell us in this is when you judge, be consistent. In other words, when you judge, don't have all kinds of different standards that you use. When you judge, be consistent. Now we're going to start just with the first three words. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, Jesus says, do not judge. Now, here's why I want to pause here. First of all, have you noticed that every person in America has this verse memorized? (laughs) At least the first three three words of it. You might be thinking, you know, Christians, people who have followed Jesus for 50 years and read the Bible over and over again, and then people who have never stepped foot in a church and never opened a Bible, they know that this is in there. Do not judge. Now, on the surface, if we just take this as it is, you might say, well, it appears that what Jesus is saying is that it is never appropriate for us to pass judgment. And that would seem to fly in the face of everything that I've said so far in the introduction. You might be thinking, all right, Dan, you're saying it's not whether we judge, but how we judge. We are all going to judge. That's what Dan says. Jesus says, do not judge. And you might be thinking, Dan, Jesus, Dan, I'm going to go with Jesus here. And if that's what you're thinking, first of all, I commend you on that. You should go with Jesus. You should go with scripture over me. If I say anything up here and you think, I don't think that that's right with what the Bible says, you go with the Bible over me. But at the very least on this, we should pause and say, I'm suspicious. I'm hesitant to believe that what Jesus is saying when he says, do not judge, is that judgment is never appropriate. That's a little bit hard to believe. It's not impossible. It's a little hard to believe. Because that would mean we should have no courts, we should have no laws, parents should never discipline their kids, we should never think one decision is better than another. It just, it seems a little bit hard to believe. If Jesus tells us a hard saying, we'll accept it, but at least we hesitate and say, I'm wondering if there's more to this story. And further, what would make us wonder if there's more to the story is that Jesus seems to tell us the opposite of this just a few verses later. In a few weeks, we'll get to a passage in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 and 16, where Jesus says this. In fact, if you have an open Bible, this is probably on the same page. He says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Jesus says, all right, there's false prophets, there's false teachers out there, and I want you to be able to recognize who they are. And the way you're going to recognize who they are is by their fruit, which means by the result that their teaching has in their own life and in the lives of the people who listen to them. Just pause and think for a moment. What are you going to have to do if you are going to recognize a false prophet? You're going to have to judge. So 14 verses later, Jesus is saying, I want you to pass judgment so that you can recognize false prophets. But you can say, all right, well, he doesn't actually use the word judge in this, though. Maybe there's something different at stake. But let me bring up some passages where the Apostle Paul uses the very same word that Jesus uses here for judgment and tells us more about it. So these are going to be some verses from 1 Corinthians. The first one is chapter 5, verse 3. Here's the basic context. The basic context is that there's an immoral situation going on in Corinth. 
there's a sexually immoral relationship, and the church has just been very, very tolerant. They're like, we're not going to judge. We're not going to tell them they're wrong. And the Apostle Paul writes in this letter and says, for my part, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. Jesus says, do not judge. And Paul says, I judge. I've judged him and you should judge him. One chapter later in chapter six, Paul's talking to the church because there's all kinds of lawsuits that the Christians are all suing one another. And Paul sees this as a really bad thing that they're going to secular courts to sort out their matters. So in 1 Corinthians six, verse five, he says, I say this to shame you. First of all, what a way to start. I say this to shame you. This is the thing we can't do in the United States. The idea that Paul is saying, I'm about to tell you something that should make you feel bad about yourself. I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? Paul says, you should be ashamed of yourself that you're not passing judgment, that you're not setting somebody up and saying, this person is wise enough to sort out this matter by making a judgment. Part of the reason we should pause in just thinking that Jesus is saying judgment is never appropriate is because the rest of scripture would seem to indicate there's lots of situations where it's not only okay to judge, we should judge, and we're doing something wrong if we're not judging. So we do need to come back then and say, all right, well, well let's just say, let's say maybe you're with me or you're at least willing to, to go along to say, I'm open to the idea that there's more going on here. That when Jesus says, do not judge, there's a bigger picture of what he's getting at other than just, it's never appropriate to pass judgment ever. So let's look at the rest of verses one and two and see how that may help us. So he does start with the statement, do not judge or you too will be judged. Now, at the very least, and I'll tell you, this might be a little bit subjective on my part, but I'll just say, that sounds to me a lot more like a warning than a prohibition. Sounds a lot more like, hey, watch out. If you're going to judge, others will judge you too. And then he expounds upon that in verse two, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you see, it will be measured to you. Jesus says, if you judge others are going to judge you. In fact, they're going to use the same standard that you use for them. They're going to use that right back for you. And even if, even if you don't necessarily believe that the Bible is God's word, you all know that at least in some senses, what Jesus is saying is true. I mean, this happens. If you are somebody that is very clear about your standard for others, they are going to throw it back in your face when you violate that standard. This is the great thing about parenting. You get to have this happen all the time. The kids are like, hey, I thought you said that wasn't a healthy food. What's going on there? Hey, I thought you said I shouldn't spend lots and lots of time on my phone. What's, what's going on? We constantly get that. If you're ever in a heated discussion with somebody and then you say to them, you shouldn't yell, <laughs> prepare to have irony thrown in your face. This is just a true statement. Jesus, at the very least, he's just making a truism of saying, hey, the way that you judge people is the way that you're going to be judged. But it's not simply that Jesus is warning us about how we judge one another and how they're going to judge us. There's something deeper at stake because he's talking also about the way that we are judged by God. The standard that we use is a standard that is used for us. And some of you might be thinking, well, but that's weird because what if I have no standard? 
I mean, what if I just say I'm never, at least out loud, going to judge anyone ever so that God will use that same standard with me and, and never judge me for anything? Jesus is not saying that we get to hold God hostage with our standard. It's not how it works. God is not mocked. God is not manipulated. God is in charge. He's the one that sets the standard. But at the very least, I think what Jesus is bringing up is that God frequently will humble us by making known to us when we are violating the standard we've adopted. He's able to do that. He's able to discipline us. He's able to humble us in that way. And, and part of what Jesus is getting at, at here is just the idea that he's saying, all right, when it comes to judgment, if you're going to do it right, you need to start by recognizing we are all in the same boat. You are not on the throne. You are not in the judgment seat looking down upon everybody else evaluating their lives. You are simply one other person who is bound to the standard of God. We are all in the same boat. We are all in the same situation. If you're making a judgment about somebody else's behavior and saying that's wrong behavior, then you should be making the exact same judgment about your own behavior and saying it's wrong if they do it, it's wrong if I do it. It's good if I do it, it's, it's good if they do it. And we don't frequently, frequently want to do that. We, we tend to have a standard for others and not be real excited about holding ourselves to that same standard. So again, if we're going to look at this and say, all right, Jesus says, do not judge, but he doesn't mean that it's never appropriate to have any judgment ever because we're, we're even commanded to judge at points. What does he mean? Let's try to nail this down. What, what does he mean by this strong warning or prohibition? And, and I think to boil it down, what Jesus, maybe the best way to put it, um, uh, applies to a passage that we'll go over next week. Next week, we'll go over the next passage in Matthew 7, and that's part of that passage. It's when Jesus gives the golden rule, or what's known as the golden rule, when he says, do unto others what you would want them to do unto you. So just apply that for a moment to judging. Say, judge others in the way that you would want them to judge you. And I know some of you right now are thinking, I don't want them to judge me at all. But I'm just going to say, in your better moments, that's not true. In your better moments, you do want people who care about you to speak truth into your life so that you can grow. You want people to judge you, not because they're condemning you, not because they're dismissing you, not because they're just looking to make you feel bad, but people making judgments about how you're behaving so that you can grow and so that you can stop doing destructive things and you can start living more fully for Jesus. I get a few times a year, I get to go and speak to the men's Wednesday night Bible study. Um, and, and I love doing it. And they, they give me like an hour to talk there. So I'm just like, great. I got time to say everything I want. And so before I even get into the message, most of the time, before we even get into the passage we're going through, I usually spend just five or 10 minutes and, and try to give some kind of encouragement about God's calling for those of us who are men. And say, you know, th there's a unique calling for us as men to take the sacrificial lead. That there's a unique calling for us as men, especially those of us who are married, for us to love and sacrificially care for the needs of our wives, for us to look to raise up our kids and take the spiritual lead in our home instead of just assuming that that's going to happen at youth group or, or with our wives or in some other way. It, it is our calling as men to step forward and lay down our lives and take the sacrificial lead. Now, if any man from Wednesday Night Bible Study was watching how I was living and was saying, Dan's not living up to that. I would want, and I say I would want, I wouldn't want, but I would. I think you know what I mean. I, wouldn't, I don't want anybody to come up to me and tell me I'm doing something wrong. But ultimately, I do. 
And if one of those guys came up and he didn't blast me, but he just said, hey, Dan, you've talked about this. And I think you're right about what scripture says about our calling as men. But man, I, I saw the way that you handled this with your kid. Or I saw the way that you handled this with Karina. And I, I just don't think you're living what you're talking about. That is the kind of judgment I would want. I would want to be judged in that way. And so then that tells me, all right, if I see something in somebody else, it's not my calling to go and blast them. It's not my calling to go and try to make them feel low. It's my calling to go to them as a brother and say, here's what God calls all of us to do. I want to come alongside you. I want to expose where I think you're falling short so that we can follow Jesus together. Judge in the way you would want others to judge you. In judgment, be consistent. But now Jesus moves on to an illustration. He says, all right, all right, let let, let me give you a picture of this in verses three through five. So he moves on from saying, when you judge, be consistent, to saying, when you judge, be constructive. Have this be something that's helpful. And so in verse three, the illustration begins, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? And if you've never heard this passage before, this is just funny. This is just Jesus being wildly exaggerative. He's saying, all right, you're walking around and you notice that there's some guy that has a little speck of sawdust in his eye and you're like, well, that guy's got a problem. Meanwhile, you have this giant beam of wood hanging out of your eye. It's just a silly situation. It's meant to illustrate the wild hypocrisy and the fact that most of us are pretty good at noticing dysfunctions in others, but a lot less good at noticing dysfunctions in ourselves. So in verses four through five, he finishes the illustration. He says, how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now here's one of the really interesting things about this illustration. When when Jesus is given the evaluation of plank eye, When he's given the evaluation of this guy, he doesn't say, you have a plank in your eye, therefore you are immoral. He says, you have a plank in your eye, therefore you are not helpful. His problem is practical. It's not even moral at this point. He's not saying you're a bad person for having that plank there. He's saying, how are you going to help? You're going to be like, all right, hold on. I've only got one good eye. I'm going to help you with that. And it also could be kind of dangerous for them because if you turn, you know, I mean, it's just, it's silly. You just, you can't help in that situation. And Jesus is making an assumption here that's really important for all of us right now. Jesus is assuming that the reason you're judging is because you want to help. Just take that in for a second. Whispering judgments about somebody else to your friends doesn't help anyone. Blasting somebody on social media doesn't help anyone. Saying really biting, sarcastic, passive-aggressive things doesn't help anyone. Jesus is making an assumption. He's saying, well, you're judging, so obviously that's because you want to help. Right, guys? (laughs) When you judge be constructive. And what Jesus also alerts us to is that, well, he's not saying, you know, obviously this is an illustration. This isn't literal. He's not saying that if you have a problem, if you have hypocrisy, you're literally not going to be able to physically see. 
But I think it's poignant because he is saying that if you have a spot in your life that you're not dealing with, if you have some kind of sin or some kind of dysfunction in your life that you're not dealing with, you will have trouble seeing clearly spiritually. You can be spiritually dull. You can be walking around in a spiritual haze, not really hearing the voice of God, reading the Bible and not really getting it, not listening when people are warning you. When there's chronic sin in our lives, we end up in a spiritual haze. And let me just tell you about a situation about 15 years ago, Karina and I were, um, I was a youth pastor and we were serving at a church and uh, there, there, there ended up being a really kind of ugly situation that emerged with a family in the church um, where at first they just seemed like kind of a normal blended family coming around. The son was in the youth group. And then as things unfolded, it was clear there was a lot of dysfunction and that there was suspicion that the husband slash stepdad was physically abusive. Then it turned out he was physically abusive because when we tried to get the family out of there, the, the woman and the kids out of there, he became aggressive, ended up getting arrested, ended up going to jail. I mean, it was, it was a pretty objective situation. About two years later, I I was no longer at the church where I'd been a youth pastor. I hadn't seen this guy since. Let's just call him John. That's not his name. I apologize to any Johns. I'm just, you know. (laughs) And uh, I was at a men's retreat, and I saw him there. He was there with another church. I just thought, this is going to be interesting. I'm not not sure what's going to happen. And and at one point during the retreat, he came up to me and and just said, hey, can I talk to you about something? Um, And I don't know how this is going to be. He and I had had some pretty like face-to-face confrontations during this time, but you never know what God can do in somebody's life. So I thought, sure, let's talk. Um, And he talked for about 15 minutes about how he really thought that I owed him an apology. He really thought I had mishandled this situation. I had got into something that I didn't really understand what was happening. And I'm listening to this just with a furrowed brow. And eventually I just say, "Now, now, John, you did get arrested, right? He said, yeah. I said, and, and you went to prison, right? He said, yeah. I said, all right, so, so tell me again. And he just went on again and talked about how he thought I owed him an apology because I had overstepped my bounds and I was wrong in my evaluation. And I tried to politely tell him we would have to agree to disagree and I wasn't going to be apologizing to him. All right, here's the reason I tell this story. It could be easy for any of us just to look at that and be like, wow, there are some people that are just messed up. I mean, there are some people that just do horrible things and are just messed up. This was a human being created in the image of God. This was a guy holding down a successful job. This was a guy pretty well integrated into society. And this was a guy who is regularly exposed to the truth of Scripture. Let's not make ourselves think that we are not all capable of entering into a spiritual haze because we turn a blind eye to our own dysfunctions. So if we're looking at it and being like, well, I'd never commit domestic violence. I'd never do any of those things. Just ask yourself, all right, are you dealing with the sin in your life? Are you dealing with the gossip and slander? Are you dealing with the dishonesty? Are you dealing with the affair or the pornography or the anger or the embezzlement? Are you dealing with this? Because if you are not, you will be blind spiritually. And also, just as a side benefit, you you won't have any way of really helping others because you're not hearing God's voice clearly. Part of this is Jesus just saying, all right, take a step back and let judgment begin with you. Sit under the judgment of God. And and here's the great news. When I say sit under the judgment of God, a lot of us are like, whoa, like that's, I don't want to sit under the judgment of God. 
Sit under the judgment of God, your Father, who has welcomed you into the family and disciplines you for your good. Jesus says, deal with this. Get the, get the plank out of your own eye. Then you'll see clearly. Then you could actually be constructive. You could help people. I don't know if any of you have ever watched those shows where they do those interventions um, with people that uh, have kind of chronic alcohol problems or drug problems usually. And uh, the, these things are just brutal. Like if you want to watch somebody just get pelted with the most brutal truths that they could by the people who love them, it, it's just, it's a brutal situation where they sit this person down, let's say the person has a drug problem, and they just over. The people who, who are most involved in their lives over and over tell them all the ways their dysfunction has caused carnage. And you got the kids saying, well, like you never came to any of my sports you never came to any of my recitals. Um, there was one time that you just passed out drunk and we were all afraid of what was going to happen. They just let them down. Then you have parents saying, we, you, you blew so much money that we gave you. We kept giving you money so you could take care of this and, and you never did. And then you have friends say, you put my kids in danger because they, they just tell them the most brutal things. And what you might expect is after they told them all these brutal things that every single one of those people would say, and now we want nothing more to do with you. But that's not what they say at all. They say, we care so much about you that we are telling you the truth so that you can get help. And you know what? We'll pay for it if you go into this treatment center. And we'll take care of the kids when you go into this treatment center. And we'll make sure things are... And as soon as you get out, when you're ready to go, we are going to be your support network. We are telling you the truth so that you can get help. That is a picture. That is a snapshot of the kind of kingdom judgment that Jesus wants happening among his people. That in our small groups and in our families and our friendships, we would love one another enough to tell each other brutal truths, the things that we don't want to hear. But we do it in a spirit when we say, I am here to be constructive. I am here to walk with you. I'm on the narrow path along with you. Anything you need, anything that will help you, whether it's money or support or friendship or accountability, whatever it is, I am on this road with you. I'm not judging you to cast you off. I'm judging you to help you. Jesus says, when we judge, we've got to be consistent. And when we judge, we should be constructive. And then finally, in one verse that seems like kind of a weird verse in there, he finally says, when you judge, be careful. Now, I'll put verse 6 up here and we'll read it. And you might think, what does this have to do with anything? But, but just we'll get the illustration, and then we'll see how this ties back in. Verse 6, Jesus says, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. You're like, I was with you until this verse. I mean, judgment and plank eye and all that. All right, that all made sense. Now we got dogs and pigs and pearls and sacred. Like, what, what is going on here? And there are some people that think that this has nothing to do with what went before. But I'm totally convinced that this plays right into what has just happened. And so here, Jesus gives the same illustration twice, basically. Um, you know, dogs and pigs, it's, it's the same group of people. The, the pearls and the sacred things, that's the same thing. He's, he's basically saying, all right, if you have something sacred, if you have something valuable, you don't give it to someone or something that's going to abuse those things, that's not going to value those things. So in the context, most likely, the sacred thing or the pearls are God-addressed 
life-giving words of counsel that would help somebody stop doing something destructive. They would be the hard words, but life-giving words that you say to somebody. And Jesus is saying, don't give those treasures to people who are going to abuse those words and who might even turn on you because he says the dogs are going to turn and maybe they'll attack you. What Jesus is doing here is he's saying, your calling is not to address every issue with every human being that you see a dysfunction in. It's not always your calling. Be careful. Be careful about this because sometimes you're going to just go into it and think, hey, I might as well tell them about this. And you're going to have your words thrown back in your face and they may even attack you. Jesus says, you have the freedom not to address everything you ever see. You've got to ask God the question, are you calling me to act in some way? Are you calling me to speak up? Is this somebody who's involved enough in my life that that I'm the person that should speak up? Is this an important enough issue that I should say something about this instead of just letting it go? You've got to discern those different things. And, And I'll just give you, as a piece of advice, I just say, some of us are real conflict avoiders. And so we love this verse. We're like, oh good, I don't have to say anything because we see dogs and pigs everywhere. We're just like, if I say something, they're gonna get me. And Jesus said, I don't have to do it. I say, if if you're the conflict avoider, probably, and again, this is just advice. What I'd say is start with the assumption that if you see something that if it was said could be helpful to the person, start with the assumption that God wants you to speak up and then ask for discernment if he's calling you not to. Now, some of you that are like, I don't have that problem. I'd have no problem letting people know. You need to start sort of on the opposite end. You need to say, all right, God hasn't always called me to speak up. I'm going to start with the assumption he's calling me to let this go. And then I'm going to be willing to work up to the idea that God is calling me to speak. But Jesus says, be careful. My calling for you is not to point out every flaw, no matter how big or how small in every single person. There's no reason for you to have to do that. You're looking to be constructive. You're looking to be helpful. And also, it's going to be pretty difficult. If you are judging yourself first, as this passage is telling us to do, if you're judging yourself first, you are going to be humble and you are going to be much slower to be deeply frustrated with the things that you see in other people. You're going to recognize that some of the things that you see as deep dysfunctions are just kind of annoying things about people. And you don't want people pointing out every annoying thing about you. Jesus says, when you judge, be careful. You're not always called to speak. But in all of this, what Jesus is pointing us back to, and I think this is kind of the kingdom principle. If if Jesus is king, what does judgment look like? And if Jesus is king, what that looks like is that we begin kingdom judgment with self-judgment. And with self-judgment, ultimately, we aren't even the ones with the standard. Self-judgment means we bring ourselves to God and we say, I am open to anything that you are going to tell me. I'm open to any sin that you're going to expose. I'm open to any dysfunction. I'm open to any kind of passive disobedience that I have. I want the Holy Spirit to have free reign to open my eyes to where I'm falling short. And I want to act upon that. And that's scary A lot of us think, I'm not sure I want that. I'm not sure I want to be opened up in that way. But let me just suggest that I think the reason why many of us are scared of that is because we still view ourselves as potential players in tryouts, desperately hoping to make the team. 
We're in a position where we're saying, all right, I'm going to be evaluated and I've got to do everything right because I really, really want to be on the team. I really want to make the team. So if anybody says, hey, you're doing that wrong, I have to deny it. I have to say, no, I didn't do anything wrong. What are you talking about? Or I have to say, no, you didn't really understand. If you understood more about the situation, you'd see that wasn't my fault, that was their fault, or I really did do it right. You don't know what you're talking about. We're going to be very defensive. We're going to be very cagey if we see ourselves as potential players just desperately hoping to make the team. But here's what the gospel of Jesus tells us. The gospel of Jesus tells us that if we have placed our faith in Jesus, we are on the team. And it's not because we were good enough and God said, you made the team because of your performance. It's because of the performance of Jesus Christ, our Savior. We are on the team. Here's the great news. You're not only on the team, you are under contract. You're under contract for life. You are adopted into the family. You are on the team. And so if you're on the team and the coach comes to you and says, hey, you have some problems with your pitching motion or I need to talk to you about how you're running and and there's some things wrong. You have the joy of saying, well, I'm safe on the team. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not being kicked off. I now get to take all of this as helpful information to help me grow. And then when you have your fellow players coming alongside you and saying, hey, I see something wrong that you're doing. I want to help you with it. Even if you're not totally convinced of their motives, you get to be non-defensive because you know you are safe and secure in the family of God. When we function this way, we show the world a different way that judgment can work. Our world is so afraid of the condemnation that we've thrown out any kind of judgment at all that could be constructive. And in the church, we have the freedom to be able to live in the way that we say to one another, I love you, I'm with you, you will never be left by God, you will never be left by God's people. But here's what God is telling you about how you need to grow. Let's go ahead and pray together now. Father, What Jesus tells us in this passage maybe is different than we might have expected, but it's more life-giving and it's also more difficult. You call us not simply to be non-judgmental, but you call us to love others enough that we take the risk of speaking truth to them. And you call us not just to avoid being judged, but to take seriously what you might be saying to us through the scripture or through your spirit or through another believer, or even through somebody that that doesn't really care about us because you want us to grow in the love and in devotion and obedience to you. Father, I pray that you would make your kingdom evident at this church by leading us to be the kinds of people who judge consistently and constructively and carefully. Lead us to follow Jesus' words so that we can see it's not ultimately bad news to find out about our flaws. It's ultimately good news because there's something we can be done about it. Father, we love you. We thank you most of all that you've welcomed us into your family through Jesus. Thank you for the grace and mercy that you've shown us. And please lead us to walk in that grace and mercy and humility toward one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.